You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to This Week in the History of College Football. I'm your host, Clint Poppy. Along with me is noted college football historian Jay Abramson calling all the way from Phoenix, Arizona. We are going to count down the highlights, special effects, players, and plays of November 30 through December 6. Welcome back, Jay. How are you tonight? Oh, I'm doing wonderful, and I want to take time to thank you for allowing me to appear on your wonderful, wonderful radio broadcast. Well, you are most welcome, and the pleasure is all ours. We've been having a lot of fun counting down significant events in the history of college football. Um, at the beginning, when we started in uh, at the end of August and the beginning of September, uh, we didn't have a lot in the early days of football to glom onto, just because in the early days, a lot of football didn't start until October or later. And now we're going to be having the same kind of issues because as we get into December, many teams are done playing, unless it's a conference championship game or an early bowl game. And so we're going to have some really, really interesting things for you to uh, expose us to and to share with us as we go down memory lane. Jay, where are we going to go first as we count down November 30 through December 6? Well, November 30, on this date, 1905, Chicago to Michigan 0. This was the original game of the century. Legendary coaches Amos Alonjo Stagg versus Fielding Yost. Chicago, 9-0, led by fullback Hugo Fezdek, the only person, by the way, to ever coach an NFL team and manage a major league baseball team. And they were playing Michigan, 12-0, who was riding a 56-game unbeaten streak, and coached by Fielding Yost, who in the fifth season had yet to lose a game. And they were outscoring opponents in that five-year stretch, 2,821-40. On that day, his point-to-minute teams were held scoreless, because on that day, a defensive struggle for the ages ensued. And it was a scoreless time until the fourth quarter with about 10 minutes remaining in the game. Chicago punts. Michigan's Danny Clark feels the punt near his goal line, and he was tackled for a safety. And that safety abruptly ended the Wolverine 56-game unbeaten streak. November 30, 1905. Jay, thanks so much for that memory. I did not know that. I did not know that. What, what a great way to start off our program. 1905, the original game of the century. And we've talked before about those point-a-minute teams from Michigan in the early days of the 20th century, fielding Yost, the uh, amazing stretch that they had of uh, football power and dominance. And uh, now Chicago doesn't even have a football team. Isn't that amazing how that works? Jay, great way to start. Where are we going to go next? Well, December 6th, on this date, 1969. Texas 15, Arkansas 14. This game had it all. Pre-game, post-game, and the game itself. For the pre-game, well, the 1967 season culminated with what was that time, the new game of the century. And here's the backdrop. Excuse me. The game featured number one Texas, 9-0, versus number two, Arkansas, 9-0 in Fayetteville. Now, this is the 1960s. 
And these teams had a rivalry for the ages in that decade. In consecutive years, in that decade, each team won a national championship. Texas, 63. Arkansas, 64. And in consecutive years, 64 and 65, Arkansas defeated Texas when the Longhorns were ranked number one. Texas, in turn, returned the favor, handing Arkansas only loss in 68. And now, one year later, in 1969, the 100th anniversary of college football, mind you, with the Southwest Conference on the line and a Cotton Bowl berth on the line, the rivalry pitted number one versus number two. And originally, the game was scheduled to be in mid-October. But in a calculated move, ABC TV exec Dino Cook had the foresight to move the game to December. It worked. It worked quite well. So, here we go. Number one versus number two. Legendary coaches Frank Royals of Arkansas, Darrell Royal of Texas, and they meet in the 100th edition of college football, the 100th year. The game, well, in front of the 47,500 fans in Fayetteville, the Razorbacks went up 14 to nothing, and they kept the lead going into the fourth quarter. But the Longhorns, well, they rallied. The 42-yard touchdown run, Longhorns go for two, they convert, and now the score is 14-8. Arkansas gets the ball back, drives, and was intercepted in the end zone. Texas had life. And with about five minutes left, Texas had the ball now, faced the 4-3, converted with a 44-yard pass, actually. And then with under four minutes to play, they scored again to take the 15-14 lead. And with less than one minute, they intercepted the Razorback pass to secure the victory. Post-game? Well, the post-game was sheer pandemonium as President Nixon presided, and he then went ahead and presented the national championship to Texas prior to the bowl games being played. Jay, that is uh, one of the more significant games in the history of college football, and I'm so glad that you highlighted that for us. Uh, one of my fondest memories as a uh, young boy was this particular game. And uh, giving us the, the fact that it was moved from October to December. Uh, Bino Cook hadn't thought about that name for quite some time. And the, the, the hype surrounding this game was absolutely unreal. The, uh, the game was built up and hyped so much, and it lived up to its billing. And I always refer to this this game as the Happy Feller game because Happy Feller was indeed a happy feller. He was the kicker for the Texas Longhorns. And uh, in, a, in a very strategic move, Texas, when it scored its first touchdown, went for two. Then all they needed was the extra point to win. Uh, just an extremely important and memorable game and those are the kind of memories that you get in this week in the history of college football i'm clint poppy your host along with me is the guru of college football jay abramson the uh the master uh historyofcollegefootball.com. Check out his work there. It's amazing. And we are so thankful to have him spinning memories for us as we look at this week in the history of college football, November 30 through December 6. Jay, give us another spin, would you please? All right, December 2nd on the state, 1972. USC 45, Notre Dame 23. USC running back Anthony Davis scores six touchdowns against the Irish. Two on kickoff returns of 97 and 96 yards. And many think what occurred that day was the greatest Trojan game day performance of all time. Playing at home in the L.A. Coliseum in front of over 75,000 fans, the sophomore running back took the opening kickoff for 97 yards to the house. Again, that was the opening kickoff. He had a second kickoff for a touchdown later in the game, 96 yards. And on that day, Anthony Davis became the only player in history to score six touchdowns against Notre Dame as he led 
the number one team in the nation to victory. Notre Dame coach Eric Posigan, who had won three national championships at Notre Dame, said, Anthony Davis is the greatest I've ever seen on kickoff returns in college. High praise from a great coach. And uh, again, for those of you that are old enough to remember those days, the, um, the USC Trojans were a power power pack team in the late 60s and early 70s and uh you know nebraska won national championships in 70 and 71 and in uh 69 and 70 usc was on the uh on the schedule and it was the 21 21 tie in 1970 in Los Angeles that really springboarded and catapulted Nebraska into the national spotlight. People thought, hey, they're real if they can hang with USC. The, uh, the teams were great, and this is uh, certainly the Anthony Davis Day and Anthony Davis Show, December 2nd, 1972. Thanks for that memory, Jay. Where are we going next? It's funny you ended it with that way. November 30th on the state, 1974. USC 55, Notre Dame 24. Stunning and still unbelievable to this day. Legendary coaches John McKay and Eric Lossegian face off in Eric Lossegian's last regular season final game. Number 6 USC enters the game 8-0-1, and well, number 5 Notre Dame entered it 8-1-1. Notre Dame led 24 to nothing late in the second quarter when Pat Hayden hit Anthony Davis for a touchdown. The same Anthony, touchdown, uh, Anthony Davis who scored those six touchdowns two years earlier against Notre Dame. And so going into halftime, it was 24-7. Then, in the second half, the floodgates opened. The dam gave way. Pick your parable. The second half started with a 102-yard kickoff return by Anthony Davis, and in 16 minutes and 44 seconds of game time, 16 minutes and 44 seconds of game time, USC scores 55 points to secure the unbelievable comeback. Now, if you extrapolate that out, at that pace, they would have put up 199 points that day. Again, anybody watching on TV was in absolute shock. And many people turned the game off at halftime because uh, they didn't think there was any way there could be a uh, comeback of this sort. But when you have a dynamic player who's capable of turning the game around on one play, and especially a punt return or a kickoff return, we have names like Johnny Rogers and Anthony Davis, and Rocket Ishmael. I mean, these are the kind of guys that when they touch the ball, anything could happen, anytime, anywhere. What a great memory. November 30, 1974. Thanks, Jay. Spin us one more memory, would you please? November 30th on the state, 2013. Alabama 30, excuse me, Auburn 34, Alabama 28, the Iron Bowl. With one second left. Adam Griffith's 57-yard field goal attempt was short. Auburn's Chris Davis caught it nine yards deep in the end zone and returns it for a touchdown, forever known as the kick six. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Number one, Alabama entered the Iron Bowl undefeated, 11-0, had won two consecutive BCS national championships and was smack in the middle of the dynasty. Number four, Auburn, again, number four, Auburn, entered the game 10-1. and one. Now the game was dripping with intrigue, and with 32 seconds left, Auburn ties the game at 28-28. to 28. They kick off to the tide. The tide drives to the 38-yard line, and time runs out. Or did it? Alabama coach Nick Saban's challenges a call, and they put one second back. Well, here we go. After missing three field goals early in the game, 
Coach Saban opted to sit kicker Cade Foster in the fourth quarter and give the redshirt freshman Adam Griffith a try. Well, the Crimson Tide lined up for the potential game-winning 57-yard field goal. The kick was short, and Auburn's Chris Davis, standing back on the fall goal line, caught it and ran the length of the field, 109 yards, scoring on the last play of the game. And on a side note, I interviewed Lauren Sizzle, who's on the sidelines working for that game, and her rendition of it was absolutely fabulous. Watching that game on TV was uh, was shocking. And, you know, it's no secret when you're on top, people have it out for you. You've got a bullseye on your back, all the different metaphors that are there. And uh, outside the state of Alabama, there probably weren't a lot of people that really felt sorry for the Crimson Tide. But when you take a gamble on a play like that, when you take a gamble and uh, you're going you're gonna to make or break um, – Something usually happens, and here it was the opposite of the intended effect. The, uh, I can still see the giant offensive lineman for Alabama chugging down the sideline with zero chance of catching or tackling Chris Davis. It was, uh, it was a sight to behold, and um, it was devastating for Alabama fans and Alabama football, but a day that will always go down in Iron Bowl history. This is Clint Poppy. Along with me is Jay Abramson. This week in the history of college football, we're looking at November 30 through December 6. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to this week in the history of college football, November 30 through December 6. I'm your host, Clint Poppy. Along with me is noted football historian, the guru of college football, Jay Abramson. Jay, thanks for coming back one more time. How are you tonight? Wonderful. Again, I want to thank you for allowing me a presence on your wonderful radio broadcast. You are most welcome, my friend. In the first half of our program, we went from 1905 to 2013. We had some amazing memories that Jay spun for us, and uh, we we are you know kind of getting into an era where we've got some big rivalries that are going on that are always played later in the year, late November or early December, and uh, we had uh, several of those: Notre Dame, USC, Auburn, Alabama, Texas, Arkansas, and probably one of the greatest mem- uh, rivalries of all. Chicago and Michigan. <laughs> uh, surely I jest. Uh, Jay, uh, you did some great memories in the first half of our segment. Where, uh, where are we going to go next? December 2nd on this date, 1967. Alabama 7, Auburn 3. You want a memorable play, here's your game. In 1967, number 9 Alabama enters the Iron Bowl 7-1-1, and Auburn was 6-3. and Playing on a field soaked so unfathomable that it was mud everywhere. And the game started with six consecutive punts. The game was scoreless at halftime, 
and with 11 minutes left in the game, Auburn had a 3 to nothing lead. Then, quarterback Kenny the Snake Sabler took off downfield, the celebrated run in the mud, arguably the most epic run in the history of Crimson Tide football. He cuts, ducks, and labors 47 yards for the only touchdown of the game, in the mud, mind you. A pair of Auburn players went down trying to tackle the snake, and eyewitnesses maintained both defenders were not blocked. They were tackled. No flags were called. The epic run in the mud. December 2nd, 1967, Kenny Stabler, the run in the mud. Just another memory and another reason for Auburn fans to hate Alabama fans and vice versa and all these kind of things. Uh, I'm sure the folks that saw that game in person or were listening on the radio, I'm sure they can recount where they were all the things that were going on, the weather of that day, and also those controversial no calls. December 2nd, 1967. Great memory, Jay. Where are we going to go next? December 6th, on this date, 1930. Notre Dame, 27, USC, 0. This was the last game Newt Rockney ever coached. The following March, Coach Rockney died in a plane crash shortly after takeoff in the wheat field in Bazaar, Kansas. He was off to shoot a football instructional movie in L.A. Newt Rockney's legacy? Well, he's 43. 1918 to 1930, 105 wins, 12 losses, and five ties. Won 88.1% of his games, three national championships in 24, 29, and 30, five undefeated seasons, consecutive game streaks without a loss of 22 and 19. December 6, 1930, the last game that uh, Newt Rockney coached. Uh, truly a legend and uh if you if you haven't seen the uh, old epic black and white movie the newt rockney story you need to watch it it is uh it is a great great movie and there's even a small bit role by uh, uh former president uh ronald reagan who is literally the Gipper in that movie. So uh, check that out if you haven't. Uh, a great name, a great memory, and also a sad memory, a sad day in the history of sports. Newt Rockney did so much, so much for the game. And uh, it was, uh, I believe, Pat O'Brien who plays Newt Rockney in that movie. And uh, Please have mercy on me. I'm just I'm doing this off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure. And it was an award-winning movie, an award-winning role. Jay, thank you for that memory. That one hurts, but it's an important memory as well. Where are we going to go next? I remain amazed at how you're able to pull so many details immediately. Well, well, well done. <laughs> December 2nd, on this date, 1950, Navy 14, Army 2. Navy enters the game 2-6. and six. They were a 21-point underdog in number two Army, who entered the game 8-0. In front of over 101,000 fans, including President Truman, by the way, Navy quarterback Bob Zelzastow broke a scoreless tie in the second half and scored on a seven-yard touchdown run, and then threw a 30-yard touchdown pass to Jim Bollinger to increase the lead to 14 to nothing. That day, the Navy defense stood tall because in the second half, they kept the cadets drove within the 20-yard line seven times and seven times they were denied. 
December 2nd, 1950. We've been talking about some of the great rivalries that happened at the end of, August, uh, end of November and the beginning of December. I was hoping that we would get at least one Army-Navy game. And, uh, you know, even if you're not a football fan, everybody knows about the classic December rivalries of Army and Navy. 1950, December 2nd. Thanks for that memory, Jay. And uh, this is this week in the history of college football. We're looking at significant games, players, and events, November 30 through December 6. I'm Clint Poppy. Along with me is noted college football historian Jay Abramson. Check out his work at historyofcollegefootball.com. I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. Jay, where are we going to go next? December 1st, on this date, 1945. Army 32, Navy 13. This was the battle of number one versus number two. Number one, Army 8-0, the defending national champion, and they'd go on to lead the nation in scoring with 45.8 points per game and scoring defense. Number two, Navy, entered the game 7-0-1 and had not allowed to see more than seven points all season. That day, Army jumped out to a 20 to nothing first quarter lead and never looked back to win the national championship. You know, Jay, we often talk of these... Uh power, power teams from Army in 1944 and 1945. It never dawned on me that the other service academies would have been good, too, because they had uh, they had a monopoly on men. And I didn't realize that Navy was a power as well. Not quite as good as an Army, but Navy was a power also in 1945. What a great memory. December 1st, 1945. Um, Jay? Spin us another memory, would you please? Now, this one was a game changer. Um, December 5th on the state, 1992. Alabama, 28, Florida, 21. This was the first SEC championship game, and it really forever changed the landscape of college football. Number two, Alabama enters the game 11 and 1, or excuse me, 11 and 0. And Florida was the defending SEC champions. They were 8 and 3. Alabama races off to a 21 to 7 lead in the third quarter. But Steve Spurrier's high-scoring Gators came throwing big back, and they tied the game at 21. And with three minutes left in the game, Florida gets possession of the ball at their own 20-yard line, or well, 21-yard line, actually, and Antonio Langham intercepts Shane Matthews and races 21 yards for the pick six for the sudden win for the tie. And in turn, for lack of better words, brought forth a new era in college football, the conference championship games. Whether you love the conference championship games or hate them, they are a part of football uh, since the early 90s. They're here to stay. They are a huge money maker for college football, for the conferences that are involved. Um, I think you could make a case that uh, in some respects, college football is not uh, better served by having all these conference championship games, but uh, there's nothing we can do about them, and uh, they have provided you know, some laughers, some blowouts, but also some great, great games and some great memories and that's what we're about here on this week in the history of college football spinning memories this program we're looking at november 30 through december 6 and jay um i i just have to get one husker memory in and uh, i don't want to take away from you but there is a unique game and a unique day in the history of nebraska football and it just so happened to uh, take place on december 4 1982 
December 4, 1982. So... What in the world is Nebraska doing playing football in December in 1982? 1982, you may remember, was uh, the September controversial loss at Penn State. And so Nebraska still licking its wounds and still hoping to somehow keep their fleeting national championship alive. They had a game scheduled that year in Hawaii. And the game in Hawaii, you know, Hawaii was not ranked. Hawaii was lightly regarded. They were huge, huge underdogs in the game. And many teams, especially teams from the north, would schedule a game with Hawaii uh, late in the season as kind of a pre-bowl game and kind of as a celebration for its players. Well, Nebraska went there with the vaunted high-scoring offense, and uh, everything was uh, in place for a blowout. The game wasn't on TV. It didn't come on radio until after midnight in Nebraska. Nobody expected to have to stay awake very long. And then the unbelievable thing happened. Turner Gill, the star quarterback, got injured in the pregame warm-ups. And so the team was in the hands of second-string quarterback Bruce, Bruce Matheson and third-string quarterback Nate Mason, and Nebraska could do nothing. Hawaii was ahead 10 to nothing at halftime. In the third quarter, Hawaii took a 13 to nothing lead. Nebraska scored a touchdown on an Irving Fryer 31-yard run, and Hawaii came right back and had a commanding 16-7 to lead going into the fourth quarter. And that's when the amazing thing happened. Nebraska, with Turner Gill back at the helm, reeled off 30 unanswered points in less than 10 minutes. The culmination was a 70-yard touchdown punt return by Irving Fryer. Nebraska averted what would have been by far the biggest upset of the season and held off the Rainbow Warriors December 4th, 1982, 37-16. Jay, had you heard of that before? Did you know anything about that game? Not in that detail. Incredible memory. I wasn't aware of the scoring spree of the 31 points. In, in how long did it take? Ten, less than 10 minutes. Incredible. Absolutely yes. incredible. And uh, as a... Uh, as a young man, I stayed up for every minute of the game. Uh, it, was, it was brutal, and then it was joyful. Jay, I think, I, I'm done talking, uh, I think we got time for one more memory before we have to uh, call it quits. Uh, where can we go? We go happy birthday, Bo Jackson, Auburn Tigers, Oakland Raiders, Kansas City Royals, one of the purest athletes the SEC has ever seen, 1985 Heisman Warner. And Bo Jackson, his freshman year, scores the winning touchdown in the Iron Bowl against Alabama to break a 90-year losing streak. In 1983, the Tigers go 11-1. Uh, Jackson runs for 1,213 yards. In 1984, he separates his shoulder. He's out for six games for 1985 senior year. He runs for 495 yards and six touchdowns in the first two games. And in the final regular season game, playing with cracked ribs, mind you, he rushes for 142 yards and two touchdowns against Alabama. Finishing the season and the Seisman season, as a matter of fact, with 1,786 rushing yards, 6.4 yards per carry, 
and a career average of 6.6 yards per carry, actually higher. Bo Jackson is in the College Football Hall of Fame. And what day is that for his birthday, Jay? I'm so sorry, November 30th. November 30th. Happy birthday, Bo Jackson. And uh, he is arguably the best multi-star, multi-sport athlete that uh, many people alive have ever seen. And uh, what, a, what a great tribute and what a great way to end our program. This week in the history of college football, November 30 through December 6. For Jay Abramson, I'm Clint Poppy. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back again Thank soon. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.